released May 20th, 2015. Henry is coming with the people from the TV. You don't like the questions or you, you don't want to do it. Henry, tell them to go screw. But remember why you're talking to them. Figure out how much they know. You don't need no surprises. It's late in the game. I'm recording this on the 19th. Today's the 20th. Look at your pictures. Take notes. Remember. Remember the nightstand if you, if you need it. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Welcome back, everyone, to Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Uh, in this version, it is Duncan and Bo uh, True Detect. What the what the hell do we call this, Duncan? <laughs> good, go true, true detective. <laughs> you never go true detective. No, you never go full full detective. <laughs> Clearly, uh, <laughs> it's been a while since we've done a for realsies episode of this show. Oh dear. Talking about uh, True Detective season three, it's finally here. It's it, yeah. it's like when, uh, as a kid, you heard that the prequels were coming out, <laughs> and you never thought the day would actually come where you put your eyes on it, and yeah. and then you did. And the difference here is this is good. Yeah, the difference is there is no Jar Jar Banks. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> um, I mean, we've got a dwarf. That's <laughs> this is true. That's practically a Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> that is not fair. He's fucking good in this. He's Here's the Dorf, dorf, dorf. There's a there's a weird kind of um, snake eating its own tail syndrome coming here. Ouroboros, that, that is called yeah, Duncan. Thank you very much. Um, I believe that the first TV show we ever covered as part of Duncan and Bo Come Correct, our listener suggestion at the time, uh, was True Detective Season 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we, I think we, we should take a couple of minutes before we kick full throng into to what we're going to be talking about on um, on this particular episode. Uh, and like talk about you know True Detective Season 1, Season 2. I've just beaten the last... Three, four days I went through the entire first two series, not because you need to to watch season three. Each of them are standalone stories with different actors, etc. But they are all written by the same guy. So uh, Nick Pizzolatto has done, you know, he's done the stories for all three. And um, there was at one point um, a high likelihood, Bo, that season three would never happen uh, mm-hmm. after the, the critical backlash uh, which was levied against season two. Now, here are some observations from Duncan revisiting season one and season two. Bo, yeah, season one is a masterpiece. Right? Sure. It can't be. It can't be argued. Even revisiting it, that's the third time I've went through it now, and um, I am I am in awe of everything in that first season. I think it is as close to a perfect season of TV you will ever see. Right, just hands down across everything. Is perfect. Even though there was a couple of things that I was watching, and I kind of thought to myself, ah, "It kind of feels bookish." If you know the the reveal of who the real killers, etc., kind of feels very much like what you would expect in a book. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was interesting was, like, we did season two, and it's safe to say that we enjoyed season two a lot more than the 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 critical consensus 
uh, which was This Is Dog Shit, uh, which I still don't understand, but uh, not a lot of people dug that TV show. It's also safe to say I enjoyed it more than you did. Yeah, it, it, it's messy. It there, it, It's just not... Like, True Detective Season 1 feels to me like this tight drum of a show, yeah. and this is more like your drunk uncle playing trumpet at a family reunion where he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I never remember how to play. Give me a minute. Well, here's here's my thing about it, though, right? So revisiting it for... This was my second time going through it. Um, I enjoyed it a lot more than I did the first time around. Um, and I will say as well, actually... <laughs> this may be controversial. Um, it totally, story-wise, totally fits in with its influences. Completely fits in with its influences. The reason I say that is the first season really is this kind of southern gothic sort of murder mystery. And if you if you're a fan of that particular style of of cinema or storytelling, it has to be tight. Everything has to be tight and it has to be on point because that's how those stories are told. That's how those movies are told. Um season two definitely is a kind of early and then the warish tale right now if you look at its influences the the, the ones that it wears on its sleeve uh, you know it, it not only likens david lynch but it at times emulates david lynch but you think of things like the maltese falcon think of things like chinatown um, and all the rest these are messy messy stories like because they're done in the old kind of you know PI style of doing things where you know things do there's like maybe two or three stories and those two or three stories will all marry up into one case, but during that there will be developments at the beginning which you think are going somewhere that don't go anywhere. When the through line of the story goes, everything melds into that, and not everything is kind of resolved or or brought together. And when you look at season two, True Detective. It's on fucking point for that. You know, I mean, it really, really is. The issue is that some of the messiness isn't satisfying. Like, isn't satisfying in a way where you're like, oh, right, I could probably, like, I can't understand the shootout in, in season two. It doesn't really serve any purpose at all. Um, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't even, it doesn't fit with the story. It doesn't really push things out. It's a great bit of cinematography um, and it works kind of as the, the counterpoint so to speak, to season one's extra long shot in episode four, I think it is where, you know, like everything's just like, this is the greatest TV show I'm ever watching. Um, so they try to kind of replicate that in there, but and yeah, maybe some of the casting isn't great, but I remember people saying that they thought Colin Farrell was too serious in the role. I think he plays a blinder. I remember people saying that they didn't think Vince Vaughn was all that great. I think Vince Vaughn is brilliant. Um, our buddy uh, Taylor Kitsch is... The Channing Tatum uh, we don't like, yes. <laughs> the Channing Tatum we don't like. It's alright. I didn't hate him. I didn't hate him as much this time round. Right, he's, because he's your okay. expectations are lowered. You go yeah. into it thinking like, oh, he's going to suck in this. Yeah, and, this and then the, it's like, oh, he's just not very good. Yeah, but I think uh, he's yeah right. But I think on on that level though, I think what we expected, and it's unfair that it's almost unfair that season one was as good as it was. That we just expected that all our main characters are going to be the caliber of Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey, 
I think I think I think we as audience members went in with unrealistic expectations, right? Yeah. But I will say the combo of Colin Farrell and um, uh, Vince Vaughn is actually a really good combination. I, I think the, uh, Rachel McAdams is quite. I was good about to say Rachel McAdams is fucking brilliant in yeah. it as well. So yeah. the weak link is Taylor Kitsch. We knew about that already. He has got the smallest part of the story, and probably for the right reasons. Because, sure. um, because in fairness, I don't think Nick Pizzolatto knew what the fuck to do with this character. Yeah, and it, it just was, doesn't go anywhere. And yeah, he was, he's a guy that brings it. He's a guy that brings in the case, which then forms the team, right? But at that point, his character has served its purpose, and for some reason, he's still in the shot. And we're like, <laughs> like why are you still here? Go, right. go, go to the catering truck. Uh, but the, like, I I'll tell you about this way. Me and you have a tendency to focus on ballsy endings to movies. We love it when yeah. I like that. Like season two of True Detective may have one of the most ballsy fucking endings in the history of TV, bar none. That is an ending that kicks you square in the nuts and then just grabs your head and makes you watch everything that's bad in the world and says, right, go away and sleep now. Um, the world is a horrible, cruel place and the goodies never win. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a cold fucking end. I got to applaud it for that. I, I really, really think the ending of that is something spectacular because it's in complete contrast to the end of the season one, which is I think the light is going to beat out the darkness. I think you know the light is the one that's winning the war, and then season two is like no, 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 <laughs> it's <not the> darkness. <laughs> sure, yeah, and it will see where season three goes, but it's certainly reeks of nick pizzolatto's worldview of just like oh no that none none of this is going to go well for anyone yeah Uh, what what i what i love about and we will we'll get to it is there is a familiar theme uh which is mentioned or touched upon and i think it might be the second episode which made me think oh this is a, a subject matter we've kind of touched on in season one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm really really excited for this. We've been we've been talking about it for over a year now since the original announcement. We've been talking about specifically uh, the casting announcements and what we're looking forward to. And lo and behold, we start 2019 bow um, with a bang with a brand new season of True Detect. And if that wasn't enough. That HBO's like, you know what, Duncan? You know what, Bo? Sit down. Here's a new season of True Detective. Nick Pistolato's going to write it again. You know him. You love it. You love his stuff. And we're like, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. And they're like, now if only we could find a director to direct these first two episodes that I don't know, maybe you like. Uh, now we know it can't be Carrie Fukunaka because him and Nick don't get on. They don't see eye to eye. Sure. But maybe, maybe we could find a a little. Maybe we find a, a, a director that Duncan and Bo likes. I don't know if they managed to do it, Bo. I don't know if they managed huh. to do it. Well, Dennis Villeneuve is doing Dune. <laughs> He's occupied. <laughs> what What other movie uh, recently has punched me in the fucking face? Oh, <laughs> oh what about the guy who did Green Room? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, or- <laughs> is he the same guy who did Blue Ruin? Yeah, word on the street is that he did a, a little horror movie called Murder Party. Though. Yeah, 
<laughs> no, yeah. So Jeremy Saulnier it, it comes out of the gate with uh, the first two episodes, and you know we'll we'll talk about it when we get into uh, the shows themselves. But you know, I mean, he didn't forget how to direct. <laughs> yeah, th- th- thankfully that man knows what he's doing <laughs> yeah yeah he didn't get like a hit on the head with a coconut or nothing and well, what is this that's a camera jeremy oh no we've got to make true detective and kill yeah. gilligan's island like jeremy oh, sonne has gotten director amnesia what what a, what a fucking age we live in bo where a guy like Jeremy Sonia can be like that. Yeah, I'm just going to do some true detective. Yeah, I mean, you know I mean? yeah, I of course it, oh. it, it's it's wonderful. I it certainly sets a tone, and and I hope the the rest of the the show can keep it up. But but look, before we get into all that, Duncan, yeah, you know, I've I, we've done a, a fair job, I think, of, of saying, look, we've got our bona fides here. We know when it comes to true detective, we know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we start detecting ourselves. Of starting to unspool this w- web, yes, of of mysterious mystery. <laughs> Do you know any other kind? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, hide and seek. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a mystery, right? <laughs> oh dear. We we want to talk about. What we've been watching, uh, something both good and bad, mm-hmm. and and Duncan, I'm I'm very curious. Like we did our catch up show, uh, so we don't need to go over every damn thing. But yes, uh, yes, but, please check that out. Yeah, we, me and Bo had a, a fucking ball, um, just talking about going movie by movie, one of us each, just talking about what we what we had been watching uh, over a period of a good couple of months. So um, yeah, uh, yes. So um, I I am going to kick us off here and say that um, I, I'll start with the bad, um, and it wasn't actually all that bad, if I'm honest. It just wasn't kind of what I thought it was going to be, considering it got a lot of press, like a lot, a lot of press, and um, I was unimpressed. <laughs> um, this is uh, The Night Eats the World finally made its way to Netflix in the UK, just at the beginning of January. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not great. And, no, I, I don't get that. I don't, once again, I don't understand the praise for that movie as much. I mean, there's some really cool ideas in there that I kind of thought were interesting enough. Um, but it, to me, it, it, it never really captured my interest. And I saw a couple of things they were trying to do really, really early on. Um, so when they were revealed in the movie, they didn't actually. I wasn't like, oh my god, <laughs> twist. Um, I was kind of just like, yes, I know. Let's get to it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it, to me, was a very pedestrian outing, mm-hmm. and I'm not quite sure. Like to me, like we had a, a couple of zombie movies that came out in 2018, and to me, the the leader of the pack of all of them was uh, Ravenous, the the uh, French-Canadian zombie movie, which I thought was genuinely, because it, like, right, it didn't bring anything new to the table, but what it did do was do a really interesting story, give me characters that I was totally invested in, uh, put its own little spin on it, and developed this little world that I was a part of right from the beginning. 
And in the case of this movie, um, I, I just couldn't connect to anything. There was a disconnect all the way through it. And you need that in a movie which deals with survivalism um, in a world where you are maybe the last person alive and zombies are trying to come and get you. I need to be connected. There needs to be an anchor somewhere in the story for me to latch onto. And the movie just doesn't have that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't think there's a, a good emotional hook to any of it. I don't. It 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 feels like a perfectly competently done guy alone in a world of zombies movie. And I I think yeah. there's, you know, maybe there's not a ton of those specifically, but there's enough scenes of that in most of these movies that you've seen all this done before. You've seen it done better. It's. It's just unremarkable. Yeah, I, I have the same reaction to it. I don't think it's terrible. I think the I don't think the lead performance is great, which is yeah. also not helping that movie any. When you're putting the movie the the shoulder putting the movie on the shoulders uh, of an actor that um, I don't I don't think delivers a, a fantastic performance. So yeah, um, yeah, it's a bummer. Sorry, man. What uh, <laughs> what about something that tickled your your pickle? <laughs> well, I've, I've I've seen quite a few things that have done that, Bo. Uh, and what I really want to do is like, like lavish praise on One Cut of the Dead, which is maybe the best movie I've seen this year. Oh, However, God. I'm going to hold back on it because that is definitely a future hero hero go show okay. where me and Bo jointly gush over how fucking amazing this movie is, uh, and how I think it's better than Shaun of the Dead in terms of zombie comedy uh, zombie comedies. Ooh. Like, well. yeah. I, Legit think it's better than Shaun of the Dead. So shots fucking fired. All right, fired. Um, but what I'm going to talk about is a movie that appears to have went nowhere, and I kind of feel sorry for it because I think if you saw the trailer for this movie, I don't think it instantly jumps out as I need to go and see this movie. Um, but when I start mentioning a couple of things if your interest is not peaked then I, I don't know what I need to do to get you to watch this movie uh, so uh, have you seen Sorry to Bother You yet? I have not seen it yet but I, I've heard great things I just haven't sat down for it right well I don't know how much has been told to you but it's a very it's a very witty kind of surrealist uh, satirical approach to the kind of social climate class politics um in america just now right so and you get that from the trailer what you don't get from the trailer is the last third of that movie goes 100 percent brian yosna oh all right right like literally takes a turn into society and i'm talking body horror the works and this movie has not been advertised the right way at all. This movie is definitely fringe horror at the end. Like, full-on fringe horror at the end. Um, and the trailer does not give that away. The trailer makes it to be this goofy comedy. <laughs> like, no, the last third of that movie is dark AF, right? And uncomfortable, and there is a reveal which your jaw will hit the fucking floor. Because uh, the jaw hit the my jaw hit the floor, and I was like, what the fuck am I <laughs> watching for the last third of that movie your mind will be blown you will be sitting there going how the fuck did we end up here and how the fuck did i not know about this movie hmm. i shit you not that's that it comes with the highest recommend for me it is a five out of five for me It's one of the best things i've seen this year like legit 
right up there, one of the best things I've seen this year. And no one is talking about it. Out with the, yeah, it's kind of about class politics and you know, like that. And like, yeah, 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 let's talk about the Yuzna bit. Let's talk about the bit where it goes full Cronenberg, full Brian Yuzna, full Tetsuo the Iron Man. Let's talk about that bit. Oh, what? No one wants to talk about that bit because the people that are reviewing the movie obviously saw that and have never seen Brian Yuzna's movies or David Cronenberg's movies or Tetsuo the Iron Man. But Bo, put that on your let. Trust me. Oh, all you right. Need to watch it so we can talk about. It. All right. I'm look. I'm sold, man. That that's all you need to say. Uh, that sounds great. There we go. There we go. So that's my two. What about yourself? Uh, uh, I'll start with the bad here. Um, I it, it's a a movie I've talked about a little bit on the on the Devour episode, but it, it's something that I feel like you and I should discuss. Uh. <laughs> and that's uh that's patient zero, Duncan. <laughs> Starring Doctor Who himself. Oh no. And and Stanley the Tooch Tucci. Yeah, Stanley the Tooch Tucci's on the cover artwork of the movie, I think, and I remember seeing it going, That's a movie I don't need to see. Are you kidding? I, I love Stanley Tucci. Yeah, oh, I love Stanley Tucci as well, but the image of Stanley Tucci on that cover art did not make me want to watch that movie at all. Man, I it's this is one of those I'm kind of recommending it. Oh no, you did, this is your badge you're leading with. But, I know, but let me let me explain why. Because it's fun to see the American accent that Matt Smith is attempting to get away from. Him. Oh no, <laughs> that's pretty fun. <laughs> the fact <laughs> throw another shrimp on the barbie <laughs> this crazy grunt and click language that they're using to talk to each other that you get a couple of glimpses of but they they don't do it much because it's real fucking stupid duncan and <laughs> and and the fact that the last 30 minutes of the movie is the last 30 minutes of Day of the Dead only real lame. It's, oh, no. It, it's, it is impressively bad in a way that for a movie that stars people like, you know, like I know who Natalie Dormer is and, you know. Oh, uh, oh yeah. So all these actors that you're like, I'm, you know, all these people coming together, this seems like they should be in a, uh, you know, I don't know, like a Woody Allen movie or mm-hmm. something. It's, you know just quirky enough a cast to be something interesting and oh it's not it's terrible um but it was kind of hilariously so there like there was a point in the movie where it it it, it makes that swap from like oh this is really disappointing they really just don't know what to to do with any of this at all Mm -hmm. to the point where it's like oh my god they're making some choices now and they're all the wrong ones and it's kind of compelling to see how bad this is gonna get uh, and, and the answer is, uh, real bad. Uh, oh no. So, all right. So that's the bad one. Oh no. But also like if you see patient zero <laughs> on cable or something, cause it's only a matter of time. <laughs> uh, and you see it like on the sci-fi channel, eh, give it a couple of minutes and just listen to that accent that Matt Smith's going after that. If that doesn't do nothing for you, then turn it off. But I found that very funny. Is uh, it as bad as was it Deliver Us from Evil? You remember that movie that had uh, what's his face the the Australian? oh Eric Banner? Yeah, 
it's, as bad as that. Oh, it's worse than that. <laughs> that's a mo- that's a be- a much better movie in terms of just being somewhat entertaining. Yeah. I mean, accent wise, though, remember? Oh, his accent was fucking horrendous. Yeah, I. Mm, it's oh, that's neck and neck, Duncan. <laughs> oh, he's like, good day. I'm from the Bronx. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Throw another criminal on the Bobby, eh? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's rough. It's rough. It's it's him trying to uh, trying to do a Brooklyn accent. Oh, why? Why did? And this is the thing that always confuses me. It, like, don't give them the hard accents. Give them the easy ones. Or like, give them generic American accent. Everyone can do a generic American accent. Or it's the end of the fucking world how about just like yeah i'm over here from england yeah that could happen i english mean whatever travel to america i mean that's i've never understood that yeah. if you like in every single like fucking gerard butler movie where he has to try and kind of pretend that he's american and i'm like that no you were scottish you went to america for some reason right in the plot if sean connery can make a career out of it you make a career out of it don't get it. Don't, yeah. Just don't get it. it. It's, it's boy, it's stinky. So uh, on the other hand, though, I, I'll tell you what. Uh, this is the one I want to talk about. But quick shout out to you because I think you were the, the first person to really come after me about it. But I oh. saw uh, Assassination Nation. Oh, so good. And, and I did enjoy that quite a bit. I thought that movie was uh, was real rad. Do, do do you see why I was raving? Do you see the De Palma? Do you see oh, the God, Argento? Yeah. Sure. That, that 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 house invasion scene is one of the it's it's the one from Tenebrae. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's like almost shot for shot from Tenebrae, and I was watching it going like that. How are no horror people speaking about this movie? I mean, it literally is emulating like it, it is is it's crafted by someone that who clearly clearly is a fan of genre stuff it's as goofy it's fun it's weird it's unsettling um it's harrowing as well that whole home invasion scene is so harrowing and so uncomfortable to watch uh and then it kind of goes tarantino death proof at the end and it kind of makes me happy so yeah there's a real kind of middle finger at the end of that movie that i like quite a bit yeah Um, it's great so yeah i'm glad you watched it i'm glad you enjoyed it yeah yeah it really did uh watched it on the the big screen downstairs have i told you about this duncan uh what did santa bring you bo uh, so I've got a 1080p projector in the basement now, Doc. Oh, so fucking jealous. So je- I, did, I, I don't want to be jealous of Bo Rand's though, but I am right now. And uh, so just uh, just earlier, I was working on mounting it to the ceiling because I haven't done that yet. Um, and Were you just screening it from between your legs? <laughs> no, no. I had like a stand for it, like a table that was high <laughs> enough. Um but it just wasn't. I mean, not convenient. I don't want. I don't want to knock it over. Um, mm-hmm. So at any rate, but so my output the uh, for the thing is about a hundred inches. Oh Jesus! So, <laughs> so I've got this hundred inch monster with five point one sound in the basement now. Nice and a couple of old chairs and a coffee table. Oh, it's your cin- it's your own personal cinema. It is, and it's fucking great, Duncan. Um, and so I watched uh, Assassination Nation was one of uh, 
the handful of movies I've watched on it so far. And it was great seeing it big like that. And it was so Mm -hmm. bright and colorful and that kind of thing. Uh, Another movie that I gave the same treatment, Duncan. It's a a movie that I really want to talk about called uh, The Night Comes For Us. Oh, right. This is uh, on Netflix. And uh, it stars Iwo Uwas who you might remember from uh, The Raid and The Raid 2 as the hero of those films. Yes, uh, yes, do- I have actually seen this movie as well. So Doing a little bit of a heel turn mm-hmm. in, uh, in this film. Um, the Here's what led me to the movie. is I read a review that said, if you thought you had seen everything that someone could do to a human body in a fight scene, uh, The Night Comes First is here to remind you that you have something uh, new to see. And I yes. was like... That sounds great. Let me see somebody die in a way I've never seen before. And I'll be goddamned if Night Comes For Us didn't show me a couple. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah, it goes for it, though. It is a very down-the-middle story of, like, you know, here's here's someone who uh, grew up in a, a, a bad neighborhood kind of thing and uh, uh, a a tale of an old gang and the rivalries within that gang and et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of the day, the six C's, they're called the, these assassins of the triads. Uh, The, this dude uh, who is a six C um, decides he's going to save a child rather than murder the kid, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. because that's the kind of decisions we're making in this movie. Do I want to murder this innocent child or not? I don't know. Um, (laughs) And he decides not to, but, and, and he instead kills the firing squad that was about to murder this child and the remaining six C's as well as Iwo Owas are, are sent after this dude, um, to kill him and the child. Mm-hmm. And the, what follows is him trying to get the child to safety. And it is, that's the whole plot. And then he just murders every fucking body in the world to make that happen. And it's full of quirky characters that die heroic deaths and people getting stabbed in the face with champagne bottles. Oh, yes. And it's I thought it was uh, two hours of guitar solo and I loved every second of it. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really, really good film. Um I, I don't know. Uh, I went in with un. I, I tell you what, it, would, it had been slightly not ruined for me, but uh, I know someone that saw it at Fantastic Fest, who foolishly told me that it was better than the Raid, and it's not better than the Raid. It is uh, not. It's in the no. ballpark, but it is not better than the Raid. Yeah. So I, I went in, maybe expecting something tonally different, expecting it to be a bit more serious than it actually was. Um, and what I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it, like all the way through. I think what's kind of letting it down for me overall, and I think you hit the nail on the head right at the start, um, is the story is a bit generic. Uh, but once you get past that, once you're like that, this movie is not about story. This movie is just essentially like a computer game that's setting you up for the next fight scene. So yeah. you just got to, you know, you have to level up to go to the next fight scene and here's the big bad in this uh, this scene and then you've got to get through that to get to the next one. Next one. There was a couple of sequences. There, there is like, you will always win me over in any movie which has a martial arts scene which is shot against a wall of glass which has different colored lights in it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, which just has silhouettes. You Like at that point, you, you have a fight. Like the rest of the movie could be shit. 
if a movie has that, I will talk about that and smile while I'm doing it, and that does it really well. Um, the the kind of female killers in that movie are delightful, like just really, really, really good. Um, and yeah, I, 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 once again, it finishes in a way where I was like, eh, not the greatest, not not the greatest ending I've seen in one of these, but it's a thrill ride to get there. And and certainly, if you're if you want to talk about like action movies. Um, uh, uh, top tier action movies of 2018 if that's not in your vocabulary then you have not done your research because it's fucking legit yeah yeah and and that was my takeaway was that's probably the best action movie i saw that came out in 2018 but i oh yeah i never saw the uh mission impossible fallout i heard that was quite good it was excellent it was really really good but this is like it, there's a lot of Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise um, in that movie, which I mean, it's, it's not the Tom Cruisiest Tom Cruise movie you've ever seen. And uh, some of the action scenes, it's a good old fashioned kind of, it, to me, it's probably as close to the De Palma one as any of them, just with better action sequences. Um, but yeah, they're like, um, yeah, what it has a distinct lack of is uh, is vicious lady killers, <laughs> which this movie made up for. So yeah. So, uh, oh man. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the, the lady with the like razor wire weight thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's up there with the, uh, claw hammers from raid two for me, as far as like, oh, that's just a gnarly weapon to use on someone. Yeah. Or what's her face uh, from kill bill? Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. Like she has the fucking spinny ball mace thing on a, a chain. So yeah, the, the one from uh, Battle Royale. Oh, yes, yeah. Oh, oh Battle Royale, bro. Mm-hmm. <sighs> uh, we're not here to talk about that, Duncan. It's, but we could if we wanted to. <laughs> we could. I mean, Battle Royale is... Look, you don't have to twist my arm to talk about that. <laughs> Did a whole show about it. Oh, yeah, I've heard it. It was good. Yeah, uh, Yeah, that's a great movie. Um, but it's time to put on our detective caps, Duncan. Yeah, Mings is already on, bro. Get get our Meersham pipes out. <laughs> but I've been smoking Mings since we started. <laughs> uh, our 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 notebook. <laughs> this one has bubbles. Um, <laughs> uh, because it is it is time to dive into uh, episode one Ooh. of of season three of True Detective. The, the episode is entitled The Great War in Modern Memory. Mm-hmm. Um, it is written, of course, by uh, Nick Pizzolatto and directed by uh, the previously discussed Jeremy Saulnier. Oh. Mm. Um, so, the uh, <laughs> we're, we meet first the, the old version of of uh my Herschela my Ali. Yes. Uh who is 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 playing Detective Wayne Hayes. Over three time we should probably get this out of the beginning. He, there's three specific time frames for this true detective as opposed to the two that we usually get in sure. seasons of True Detective. So we are going to be jumping around a lot. So where possible we will try and tell you either this is modern one this is 1990 or this is 1980. We'll, we'll try to keep up with us. Yep. Yeah, so it's, it's 1980, 1990, 2015. And, and we'll kind of explain here what's going on in each of those timelines. But, mm-hmm. uh, um, so 
we meet initially uh, Wayne Hayes as a, as an old man, but are quickly sent to 1990. Yes, and and this is where uh, he's being interviewed about an old case, and is certainly like, oh shit, this is season one True Detective here. <laughs> like right off the bat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like remember, remember, remember the season you really liked. Here it's here. It's like, <laughs> and it's uh, Mahershala Ali looking like Blade a little bit, which is awesome. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he could be the next Blade. He oh, hundred percent could be the next. Oh, Blade. I would watch the shit out of that. Um, he's so good in the. Anyway, we'll get to it. Um, <laughs> and th- it's ten years after some case that we don't know nothing about yet. And mm-hmm. and uh, he says, you know, I know there have been calls to overturn the conviction. Yes. And then uh, we're, we see a recorder and then we flash forward to 2015 again. Mm-hmm. And it's old, old Wayne Hayes. And it's him listening to a recording of himself from the day before. Yes. Saying, I know uh, that your memory is bad. But here, I mean, it's almost a memento kind of thing. That's like, exactly what I was about to say. You know, do, 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 there is your son. Do not believe his lies. Um, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. It's the, the memento thing. Like, even even down to giving them advice, but specifically taking his attention to, you might not need it, but in the top drawer, there's something to protect yourself. Right. Oh, there's a gun. This is where it was like the most Nick Pizzolatto. Yeah. Where it was just like, Hey man, um, <laughs> your memory's real fucked up. And one of these days, you're just gonna have had enough. <laughs> and when you hit that day, nightstand. <laughs> not saying I'm not saying that you will need what's in the top drawer, but this is the world I've created, so you will need what's in the top drawer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it, but it like immediately, it's just like this is fucking dark. And, <laughs> and um, so it, the recordings are like, you know, hey, look at the pictures around you. Remember where you are and all that stuff. And then we jump back to 1990 real quick mm-hmm. where the investigators are like, hey, Wayne, can you flash back one more time? <laughs> just, like, just yeah, just like, like we, we've, we've set up this thing. Now show them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Can I flashback? Hold on here, butts." Because <laughs> they, they basically say, "Can you take us back to um, no, November seventh, nineteen eighty, which is a very famous day, which is referenced about three or four times in this, and I, it just seems such a weird detail that to pick out which is the the, the day that Steve McQueen died." Yeah, yeah, and it's. Right. Was that a big deal back then? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was notable. It, it, it's kind of like when John Wayne died. Uh, you know, something yeah, like that. I, where I couldn't even tell you when that was either. <laughs> I, I, I'm I a heathen. Be. I'm from Scotland. You know what I mean? When Sean Connery dies, there'll be a national fucking holiday for that. But, you know I mean? Yeah, I mean, I was seven years old at the time. I couldn't give a shit less. Like, I didn't know who Steve <laughs> McQueen was. It's like, it's like, the guy in the blob? He's like 16. Yeah. Why would he be dead? <laughs> he's not dead i just saw him driving that car yeah (laughs) the blob get him fuck you know it did 
<laughs> the blob always gets everyone ball. <laughs> right. Blob Blob holds a grudge, John Duncan. <laughs> given enough time, the blob will always win. The blob is like the casino of monsters. Given enough time, it will always win. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- I mean that's the whole trick. You got to keep it super cold or you're fucked. Yeah. As soon as yeah. The, somebody unplugs the refrigerator, the the whole world dies. <laughs> got to keep that fridge running. <laughs> so, right. You better have a Jenny on it, you know? <laughs> Some, somebody check the gas in the blob generator. <laughs> the blob generator. <laughs> this ge- the, the blob generators uh, would have to be tested about every like ten days. Yeah, Let's just fire it up. Let's make sure. Like a hundred years has been passed down through three generations, and people are just like, why are we filling up this generator again? Uh-huh. Why is it called the blob generator? What the fuck is a blob? I don't know. But just, just you gotta fill it up. Be like that scene from like Lost where they had to dial those numbers in. I was thinking more like Jason X, where <laughs> somebody just finds the blob generator in rock. Yeah, so there's dead Cronenberg in there. Why did they, why they didn't bring back Cronenberg? That's the big feeling of that movie, right? The, a bionic David Cronenberg is what I want most in this world. <laughs> I heard they were doing an uh, Eastern Promises sequel. I don't know if he's on to direct. He's but... not. He's not. That's, oh, like, I that's got. I got. I got like semi hard when I when I read that there was an Eastern like a headline came out yesterday. Eastern Promises to um in the works, and I was like, oh, and then it was like that David Cronenberg not attached. I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like a, it's like a penny whistle just going <laughs> like that. I was just like, yeah, I've got. I, I mean, I'll, if if V goes in, I'll watch it because. You know that that he was fucking phenomenal in that, but yeah, that movie that movie works for me because it's Cronenberg. You know, Cronenberg yeah. has a way of like dissecting the human psyche in a way which just makes everything cold as cold as a blob fridge. Bo. You know what I mean? <laughs> Colder than a blob fridge, Duncan. <laughs> that old that old saying. <laughs> so. Yeah, but anyway, so Steve McQueen died, is the point of all that. And. <laughs> Cold on that blob fridge. That's the next t shirt. Yep, blob fridge. Oh, no, I dare say the witch. The witch will have an ad for that in his next episode. Oh, that would be all right. I'm okay with that too. Um, yeah, anyway, Steve McQueen so, died 7th of November, 1980. And so a dude who is not Michael Bean, but ought to be Michael Bean. He totally looks like Michael Bean. Uh, except maybe with more of a perm. It's, it's like Michael Bean from Abyss. Yes. You know, after, after he gets the bends. Uh-huh. <laughs> kind of like, Argh. And it, it's, the, the character's name is Tom Purcell, uh, and he's played by Scoot McNary, which the is not a real name. The animated hero of Scoot McNary and the Chopper Gang. <laughs> Scoot McNary sounds like the most racist stereotype name that an American who could not spell Scott would put against a Scotsman. All right. It's Scoot, <laughs> Scoot McNary. Scoot McNary. I'm pals with Willie. Um, <laughs> Where's I mean? me, Rake? <laughs> I ate it. Um, so- Oh, this whole thing's bad. It's uh, wrong. This is a serious TV show. There's kids in this one, Bo. Um, well, sure. There, so, yeah, Tom Purcell has, uh, <laughs> as played by 
uh, Muppet Scoot McNary. <laughs> Heard a bird cured. <laughs> dorf, dorf, dorf. <laughs> He's introduced uh, as the father of a couple of kids. Uh, Julie and Will are their names. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, we want to go see this this kid's dog. And he's like, oh, what? Yeah. And Which every parent does. Like, you're like, what, what, do you, what do you mean you want to go and do stuff? Right. And they're like, we're just going to ride over there and see his dog. It's cool. Like, we get to do it all the time. It's fine. And we'll, and he's like, all right, we'll be back before it gets dark. So it's five o'clock, Bo. Yeah. So be back before five. Be back before 5 p.m. Or I will murder both of you. No, he doesn't. <laughs> doesn't actually say that. So... Uh, he's like, yeah, 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 go see this dog. And um, on their ride, we see that the kids pass by uh, some teenagers in a purple VW bug. Yes. And there's uh, a Native American dude who's driving a go-kart and, with a big trash wagon pulled behind it. Yes. And so these are, are initially suspect sort of so. yeah I, 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 at the moment i think that's where the show's the show's pivoting us towards one of these is a killer well and also like because we don't know exactly what goes down here because the show hasn't told us this yet we just know hey there was a crime that happened on this day and as soon as you see these two kids on box you're like well those kids are fucking toast well, yeah, yeah, that's exactly like that's. I kind of like that about the show is like you know right from the off something bad's going to happen to these kids, and this show will wait, make you wait <laughs> to find out exactly what happens. Um, and yeah, it's it's, it's that sense of dread um, and kind of ominous cloud that just hangs over everything that exists in the head of Nick Pisolau. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I would love to have a. I would love to share a beer with a guy and just be like just who wronged you right <laughs> who hurt you <laughs> I, I was sitting in the chaise long here let, let's let, just tell me tell, tell me about some other <laughs> right and yeah so we we see those two um the the two kids riding around we you know we see we see the the bug we see the trash man um and then uh it, it kind of cuts to later and it's dark, and uh, Scooter McChopper. <laughs> yeah, what, 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 what the fuck he was doing with that car that took him like basically all day? Under, see, I don't know anything about cars. Maybe it does take that long to fix a car. Um, but yeah, he's he, he like kind of brings his head finally out from under the hood, and he's he's like, wait one second, it's dark. Turns around, no kids' bikes. Hmm, uh, kids missing. You see, hmm. And this is like his first acknowledgement that the kids aren't home. Um, and being a parent, I can tell you that that just even the thought of being in his position uh, terrifies me um, uh, because, you know, you, you don't have control over something. It looks like a, a kind of controlling guy, bro. Yeah. Like a guy that likes to know where everything is. Um, and yeah, so the kids aren't home. They've not returned home. And we've already had some flash sequences as well to teenagers partying um, mm-hmm. and doing things that teenagers will do, which I 
think is disrespectful, making loud noises, listening to that rock music, drinking them beers, um, dancing around like a bunch of fools, like fools, ball, like fucking fools. (laughs) Um, and of course, like, so they gotta cut loose. (laughs) And of course, like, um, like at this point, we we jump back to 1990 because we're 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 jumping ball, and um, our, our buddy here gets asked what he was doing that night, and you know, it's like he makes it sound like they were a bit busier than they were. Him and his partner played by Stephen Dorff. Yeah. From Blade. Like we mentioned earlier on. Uh-huh. And and they're doing what I call the Saturday night special, Duncan. <laughs> Tell the listeners out there what the Saturday night special is, but you know, kick back in a couple of lawn chairs at the local dump, <laughs> having a couple of beers, smoking some cigarettes, <laughs> taking some shots at rats. You know, L I V I N, Duncan. <laughs> so, this is introduced to um, Roland West. What a name, man, honestly. Uh-huh. Uh, played by Stephen Dorff, who I was excited about. I, I have since, um, since uh, what's it, SFW? Is that, is that the movie? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not a dwarf head, as the kids call themselves. So. Oh, he's like I, I. There was a time period that Stephen Dorff could do no wrong, right? And then he disappeared for a while, and then he returned, um, in that rather horrible Leatherface movie, which was not good. And he's probably the only good thing in that movie, to be fair. Um, and then when I heard he'd been cast in this, I was kind of excited because what True Detective as a show tends to do really well is take actors that maybe have been off doing different things or bring an actors kind of back in a way that you haven't seen them before. Um, as, so, SFW is so fucking what? That's you should check that movie out. Really good. It is painfully nineties, but kind of awesome. And Stephen Dorff is the main guy, and it actually is a really good satire on um, the fifteen minutes of fame, uh, well ahead of things like YouTube and all the rest. So it's kind of amazing. Um, but yeah, so he's the he's the partner um, of of our main guy here, who was what's his name Wayne Wayne Hayes, uh-huh. and yeah, they're, they're shooting at rats. Um, and then this this fox comes up, um, and you know takes a gun out, and uh, Wayne's having none of this shit. And then the, the camera pans round, and the fox is given the most kind of baby eyes face I've ever seen him as the the most tragically needy fox face I've ever fucking seen him. Right. I wanted to hug this fox so bad. There's a an animated butterfly, just. <laughs> gently pulsing its wings on its snout it's like literally the cutest thing i've ever fucking seen like i just i was like oh that's right and of course then i thought you shoot this and stephen dorf me and you will have a fallout on this fucking show right now um but wayne knocks the gun away and they have a bit of a you know what the fuck you doing sort of thing uh and then they jump in the car and they're driving away that's him finished their shift question mark right yeah yeah they're well they decide that they're gonna go cruising because it they're just trying to basically run out the clock on their shift yeah and, it's been a quiet night yeah and then and like when they uh when they're getting in the car 
Uh, and decide like, hey, let's just go drive around and we'll we'll see what's what. Uh, drive around town a little bit. And uh, Steven Dorf says like, yeah, maybe we'll find somebody to beat the shit out of. <laughs> and and Hay says, Lord, that'd be nice. It's, I know. <laughs> Just like, yeah, let's just get out a little frustration, you know, roll a drunk or something. Yeah, like, what what I really like about, and once again, we're going to get into it as this moves on here, is that straight away, like, like see, when, like, see when you watch season one of True Detective, right? The thing about that is when you're introduced to um, McConaughey's character, who is a like tragic, tragically flawed character, but the one thing Russ Cole has is integrity. Like right from the off, you know he's he's going to be a bit rough and all the rest, but he's going to kind of play it by the book, right? Um, maybe the unofficial book when he has to go off site, but you know he's like everything's the codes what's written down, and if he has to get his hands dirty, he will. But you know he's he's not doing it for shits and giggles. He's doing it because he has a sense of duty and a weird sense of duty and honor, right? Um. And, and then in the second season, we're introduced to Colin Farrell, who is a legit dirty cop. <laughs> like, there's no getting around that. He's a dirty cop. Um, and in this one here, it gives us something like a combination of the two, which I kind of like. I like complicated characters. I like complicated police characters because I don't think you can either be wholly good or wholly bad. And I think the police as an institution lends itself maybe above all other professions to really 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 bend in the rules um for chits and giggles or just because you see how things will not work when you play by the rules and that's why sometimes you will stack the deck in your favor because you know when someone's bad even if you can't prove it you know because you have this inflated opinion of the work that you do which is in itself, very, very important. I love when you give me a complicated... Cop characters, the best cop characters are the complicated ones. And straight away, we're introduced to, like, two guys who, on the surface, seem like, yeah, they're kind of maybe hick cops and all the rest. But as this episode goes along and we start hearing a bit more about their past, where they've come from, I'm instantly absorbed. I want to know everything about everything. Yeah, yeah. And I would also argue that, you know, it's not just about being sort of morally gray as cops or anything. I, I, I think there's an element as well of this is a small Arkansas town. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are not beat cops. They're, you know, they're detectives. And they're, yeah, I mean, they're again, they're just on, on the clock. They don't expect that there's going to be trouble. So, you know, I mean, not that they're great. I mean, they're certainly riding the clock in a way that is not helping <laughs> serve and protect. But I also, I, you know, like, I don't think they're bad people for uh, for for hanging out in a dump and shooting rats, you know. And yeah. and there's this interesting conversation that goes on in the car after after this, like before the call comes in, where they're talking about hunting. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that... Uh, Hayes, who like takes on these almost supernatural qualities that we'll get to, but this is sort of the the first hint of it, where he's like, oh, you know, I I only hunt deer with a bow, and I don't use deer stands. Like I, you know, I'm a I'm a hunter. I'm not. I'm. I want it to be as even a playing field as possible. Mm-hmm. And which is kind of a a 
it's a principled stance for sure about the act of haunting, you know? Yeah. And, and Dorf, uh, on, on golf. No, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> sure. I've seen that. <laughs> Dor- Dorf on murder says, <laughs> uh, you know, like, I feel hey, we're going to be calling back to that quite a lot. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> now that I've said it, it seems like a good idea. But, but, but yeah, he's just like, you know, look, man, I'm just out there to have a good time. And, and when I go hunting and, you know, it's not an out and out argument, but it's clear. It's like, well, they, they approach things a little bit differently. There, there's something a little more thoughtful about Hayes as as a person. He's not, Mm -hmm. he's kind of quiet and reserved and, and the stone faced, you know, he's not chit chatting the way that, uh, that dwarf is. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so and this is where the the call comes in, where they're like, "Hey, you know, we've got a report of uh, some missing kids, and you know, somebody needs to go to the scene." And then we flash forward to 2015, and it's we see that what's going on, you know, all the stuff that uh, we heard on the recording in 2015 with you know old Detective Hayes is he's prepping himself for an interview that's being done by a television crew. Yeah. For like a, a true crime story. You know, it was sort of a forensic files. I think it's called American Trial. Is that the name of it? Yeah, yeah. You imagine this sort of thing could end up on a, like a Netflix series or or something like that. You know, Discovery ID would certainly be no stranger to a show like this. Yeah, yeah, and um, so we're, we're, that's that's the so that's our setup. That's our basic setup here is that we have uh, twenty fifteen. He's who has been interviewed. So we know look, this is the thing that I, I get really excited about because what we know just like for the first ten fifteen minutes of, of this episode here is something bad happens to some kids in nineteen eighty. In 1990, someone has been arrested, but there's a question mark over whether or not that is a just arrest or whether or not it's not. And then we have 2015, where he is being interviewed some 25 years after the case, after the original thing happens, uh, for his recollections and comments on it which I really like that. So that's the first time we've done that in any of the True Detectives. I mean, we covered three different time frames technically in season one, but really the two of those time frames were really one long time frame right. um, of that investigation until the partners split up. And then we jumped to like modern times. So we've got these three completely separate standalone slices of, of Hazy's life. And... That's our setup. That's what we're going to be doing in this show for now anyway. I don't know how we're going to tie it up. Obviously, we'll get there and we'll have some theories, but that, that's our setup. That's your three That's your three errors, so to speak, for, for True Detective Season 3. And yeah, he's going to be interviewed by this woman for a TV show. Um, and he's a bit forgetful. And yeah, so that, that's our setup. And, um, and then what comes next, Paul? Yeah, so then uh, we one other thing I want to point out here is mm-hmm. we know that uh, Hayes worked the cases specifically in 1980, 1990, and, and 
that his now dead wife wrote a book yes. about all of this. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> in 1980, um, we cut back to Tom, uh, the husband, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, the Michael Bean that isn't Michael Bean, Scooter yep. McGavin. <laughs> <laughs> Bang! bang. <laughs> right. Uh, he eats pieces of shit like these guys for breakfast. He eats pieces of shit for breakfast, bull? Shut up. And so they're like, hey, uh, do you know where your wife is? And sure enough, uh, in comes Lucy. Oh yeah, because like the 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 like so like we we get the classic, you know, um what we get straight away though is that Maybe, maybe Tom is not comfortable around coloured people. For for a start, he, he seems to listen more to what Stephen Dorff tells him um, than he does when Detective Hayes tells him something. You know, he he, he kind of fights back on those things, but uh, Hayes does the kind of, our fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. I want you guys to search every in-house, outhouse, farmhouse, farmhouse, cat house, dog. You know, he, he, gives, he sends them all off to do all their bits, and then they're like that, right, can we get into the house? And Tom's like, no, why do you want in the house? We need to be out in the car searching for the kids. And I'm like, no, no, no. He's like, the kids are not in the fucking house, so why do you want to go in there? I'm like, well, maybe there's some clues. Maybe we'll find out what's going. So you need to take us through the house. And so they go in there and they start poking around as detectives will will do. Um, and that's when the wife comes back. We find it very quickly that they're kind of estranged in that he's sleeping on the couch, which is never a good sign, Bo. Um, and she has the bedroom. And uh, she's maybe slightly promiscuous. <laughs> uh, likes a drink. Um, and... Uh, Hayes is doing Hayes's thing going around and he finds something suspicious in the kids room but we're going to get to that in a second because Mrs McNary uh, <laughs> comes in and she is P-I-S-S-E-D yeah and not the angry kind of pissed although no. that's true too yes <laughs> she's yeah she's not a friendly drunk but yeah she's just good old fashioned drunk yeah, she's pissed squared. Um. Yeah, yeah, double pissed. We call that the Trump. Um. <laughs> they, uh, but yeah, I, and it's uh, she's a real handful. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is the point where they're like, "Hey, you two idiots! If you can just shut up arguing for two seconds." we need to look around your house to see if we can maybe find your kids. Yeah. And, uh, and they're like, yeah, fine. I guess stupid. <laughs> no, you started it. Yeah. I mean, they're just the shittiest people and you feel bad for the kids. You're like, well, maybe the kids did leave. And well, that's, you know, maybe, maybe they just ran away. <laughs> uh, and we, we find out, um, we find out like, obviously between the, we find out between that, but like he starts to do a little bit of that investigating that those detectives do, and um, he comes across two things that are really weird. Mm -hmm. uh, one which is perfectly normal for a twelve-year-old kid to do, uh, ish, kind of. yeah, yeah. I was about to say, I'm fairly sure I 
I'm fairly sure I had seen a porn magazine at age 12. But right? the, that's not the the weird part of it is that when Hayes is like, you know, because the father, uh, you know, Shooter McGavin is <laughs> hanging out in the doorway watching them Sorry, look through the room. I can only imagine Shooter McGavin in, in the abyss now. I, <laughs> yeah. Shooter McVaney. Uh <laughs> It's like a completely different movie. Uh-huh. Oh. Shooter McBenzie. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, he uh, he's hanging out in the doorway, I guess, making sure that the cops don't steal nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Hayes is like, hey, these skin mags, you recognize these? <laughs> and as they're, known in, as they're known in Scotland, scuddy mags. <laughs> I like skin mags and stroke mags are my two favorite. <laughs> terms for pornographic magazines um but so yeah he shows them to him and he's like you recognize these and he's like no those i've never seen those boobs before but can i have a <laughs> might have, I have a quick thumb through let me just get a get a peek um <laughs> and and then the other thing duncan that seems a bit odd Mm-hmm. Is that there is a hole in the Will's closet? Will is the the son uh, that looks into his sister's room. Yes, was it the sister's room or was it the parents' room? No, it's the sister's room. Oh right, I did not pick up on that. Then I thought it was the parents' room. Yeah, well, that's why when they talk about the pedophile thing, anyway, we'll. Oh uh, yeah, we'll get to it. We right, will so- get to that. Hold it. Hold. Hold, boy. Hold. <laughs> and um, so anyway, there are a couple of things to note here. Uh, yes. in, also in the kid's bedroom mm-hmm. is a scout's handbook. Yes. Because they, there's one idea, you know, one theory that, hey, maybe these kids took off. And, okay, well, if he's a scout, then he has basic understanding of like oh how to make a 10 and a fire yeah. and stuff they're like living that. off the land basically yeah, they potentially have, <laughs> they're survivalists they've probably got a couple of like plastic containers filled with food dug under the ground they're living off the land there they've got their own cache of weapons i've seen jonestown i know how this goes Bob. yeah it, it becomes hunt for the wilder people <laughs> A delightful adventure, uh, fucking amazing movie. Yeah. Um, but but the other, um, yeah, the other book though is called The Forests of Ling. Mm. Do you notice this, Duncan? Uh, I don't know what it's about, but I did notice it. So, so like, if, wait, wait, I get the feeling that Bo has done a deep dive on this one, which makes me happy because every season of True Detective needs a deep dive. So yes. give me. So the Force of Ling is doesn't exist. It's a in the in the show. It's a Dungeons and Dragons module. Oh right, but it's not a real thing. All right, cool. But the Plateau of Ling Duncan mm-hmm. is uh, from H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, Lovecraft! Oh, we're yellow kinging it all over again. Uh huh. Oh. All right. So, uh, very briefly. This is a fictional realm created by H.P. Lovecraft that has been alluded to uh, by Gaiman, Alan Moore, Stephen King, etc. Um, in George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire, Ling is an isolated island inhabited 
uh, by a culture that worships the old ones who dwell underground in subterranean ruins and labyrinths. In short, Ling is a mysterious fog-shrouded place where old monsters live. And then the very next uh, shot, uh, Duncan, is uh, people searching a misty field. That's right. Oh, Erection. Ugh. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, oh, I did not pick up on that, and instantly I um like I got like a like a one of those like you know, icy cold shivers up my back where I was just like that. This has just made me love this even more. Oh, well, let me let me twist the uh, the knife in your penis a little <laughs> a little more. How how do you, have you been watching me masturbate again? I thought that was the only I did that. No, no, no. It's just fun. Um, <laughs> in. In Stephen King's uh, Dark Tower mythology. I knew you were going to see the Dark Tower. Um, Ling is the place uh, where the spell book rests for Randall Flagg. Or where it was written, rather. Mm. And another note that was pointed out in this, this theory was that the main character, of course, of the Dark Tower uh, stories is Roland Deshane. Oh, right. Not unlike Roland West, the Steve Dorff character uh, in in this show. Oh. I'm in. You've got me hooked. And uh, so um, we will we will see where this all goes. But uh, we now have a you know Carcassonne Yellow King like subtext. To mm-hmm. work with here, because that's that's what I was kind of thinking. I was I kind of felt like when I was watching, I was like, "Yeah, yeah, we're setting up some stuff. Maybe a bit of Satanism. Kind of see where we're going here, but we don't have the kind of weird occult, a kind of occultish nature that we had in the first season, which we didn't have in the second season. But Bo, this has tickled my penis. I um, thought it would it right now. <laughs> um, so uh, anyway. Um, they they end up uh, talking to some witnesses uh who were pointed out by by the locals these are uh let me get my names here uh the trash man a guy named Brett Woodward Woodard uh there is Freddie Burns who was the kid in the VW uh bug mm-hmm. and um and and some other kids so um we are uh Dan O'Brien is the is Lucy's cousin um who is the uncle that stayed in Will's room. That comes yeah. up. They don't get to interview him right away, but they were like, Oh, there's this creepy uncle Dan what stayed with Will in his bedroom once upon a time. Yeah. Um, so we'll get back to that. And so they um they go to talk to the uh, the teacher, and um, this is Amelia, as played by Carmen Yogo. I think is the pronunciation. Yep, she's really good in this. She she is. Uh, also, she she reminds me a little bit of Tessa Thompson, kind of kind of sexy Tessa Thompson. Oh yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, so Wayne uh, Hayes, our detective, is like, I would like to detect her booty. <laughs> because she's pretty 
and yeah. and seems smart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, miss. I I do not work for the FBI, the female bodies inspector, unless you want me to. Right. You know what I'm saying. So, <laughs> you have the remind you have the right to remain sexy. Well, uh, you I'm know, read the, the whole range by stole myself because it got red. There, there's another thing I, I kind of skipped over, and I apologize because I, I wanted to point this out. Is that there's this scene of Hayes following some tire tracks when yes. it, when it's like you know everybody was kind of taken off for the night, but he couldn't sleep, so he was just going to go keep looking for the kids, mm-hmm. and he finds some tire tracks, and then he finds some footprints, and he's looking over this puddle, and you see what would be this like big moon, and then yes. and then it goes out, and then we we have this flash. Uh, forward into um, 2015 where they're like, oh, this light is going out. Do you need to take a break or anything? He's like, no, no, I'm fine. Do we need to stop? And they're like, no, that's cool. But it's what it does, I think, is it tells us very clearly that the narrative that we're following in 1980 is 100% the, the recollection of Hayes as an old man. And it may uh, not yes. be the most reliable. Yeah, it's unreliable. Yeah, yeah, because his... I got the same thing. I got exactly the same thing watching it. That I, 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 I'm what I'm unsure of is whether or not all of it is done that way, or if it's going to pull like a fast one with us, where some of it will be reliable and some of it will be sketchy, and then maybe somewhere in the middle it will sort itself out, or if we just to assume that everything in this time frame is is uh, from the point of view of someone who's very forgetful. He's like an old man who has memory problems um, and uh, whose who's recollection is bleeding into his real life. Yeah, yeah. And and so we don't know that for sure, but I suspect that we are going to get some moments throughout the show of like, mm-hmm. oh, that's not the way it really happened. Kind of the clue of like, yeah. here's how it could have happened. Um, <laughs> Flames! Breathing flames all over Burning. my face. <laughs> Burning. Um, uh, oh, she's so good. Um, but I, mon Dieu, but I too drank the cognac. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. How, now I just want to watch it's, 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 a future, so it's a future commentary. It's it, a future commentary. has to be. It, it absolutely should be. Uh, so they repair that. We're, we're, when we go back to the school, one other thing uh, uh, worth noting here is that um, they're talking about a poem uh, called, jeez, uh, I am fucking this all up. Tell Me a Story is the name of the poem by mm-hmm. Robert Penn Warren, uh, which is a poem that is all about time and the passage of time and stuff like that. Time is a flat circle, boy. I don't know if you know that. Boy, uh, Pizzolatto <laughs> loves to to screw with vague allusions to supernatural stuff and time and time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like, a, he's like, yeah. Let me tell you this story over many time frames, <laughs> and and also everyone's going to be talking about time the entire uh, narr- narrative and yeah, yeah. So anyway, so we, the cops are there to see Freddie Burns. And they, mm-hmm. they do talk to Freddie and, um, he says, uh, you know, Hey, we were at the party spot, uh, the tower at like four thirty ish, you know, just out there drinking, having fun. 
And uh, he's like, yeah, we saw those kids riding their bikes. And, you know, we saw them one time. And it was about 4.15. And then uh, after they talked to Freddie, which, you know, it all seems on the up and up. It, it Even though we got kind of an ominous scene of them watching the kids ride by on the bikes, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like there's anything malicious happening. Yeah. 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 And, uh, then they, uh, question another teenager who's wearing this black Sabbath t-shirt. Yeah. And you, you can't, you cannot watch that and not think West Memphis Rebo. Yep. Exactly. Cause it is, it is the dwarf. It's, it's, it's dwarf on interrogation, Duncan. <laughs> it's, it's dwarf on Satan. Bro. Yeah. Um. Cause he's like, why do you wear that shit? And he's like, hey, it's just the name of the band. And, you know, he's like, what's a Black Sabbath? And uh, it's Hayes who's like, yeah, it's a, you know, a ritual uh, meant to. Black you know, Mass. Yeah, a, a yeah. Black Mass. And uh, and the kid's just like, I think it's the name of the band. <laughs> Listen here, old man. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I don't know. I, I don't know from Satan. I just know I like yeah. Black Sabbath. He's voiced by Snake from, um, from The Simpsons. <laughs> Whoa. He's like, so long, coppers. Time to go on a crime spree. <laughs> Some really good Nicholas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. The the other one I do is the uh Ghostwriter Nicholas Cage. Which is just him going, Ah It's fantastic. <laughs> um I'll have to check the volume on that one. They uh so then they uh they after these these two meetings, like when they're talking to the kid with the Black Sabbath shirt, um, he's like, no, no, no. We saw a bunch of kids at the park, and they were, like, setting off some fireworks and shit like that. Well, like, we, I don't know them. We didn't hang out with them. I couldn't tell you who they were by name. All I can tell you is that they're, you know, I, there were some kids there. They could have been some of those kids. Mm-hmm. And... um. There's a really fun conversation after this that I like where Hayes and uh and Dorf are in the uh in the car uh going to uh check out the trash man. And they're like, "Well, those kids were Dorf says, you know, the kids were lying, but do you think it was regular lying or do you think it was like they they were trying to cover something lying?" Mm-hmm. And uh Hayes just says, "You know what?" I don't know right now, but let's check everyone else out. And if we don't find anything, we'll come back and press on these kids a little bit more. And it's kind of a fun little cop moment of like, ah, there could be something there. It ain't nothing, but let's see where the other leads take us. I will give him credit on this one as unlikely a pairing of two actors might be. These two guys play really well off each other in this. It's like a it's a great bit of casting because I, I I like how uh, like D- Dorf is is kind of he's the, the more playful of the two, but like really does respect like his opinion on everything, and you see that later on that re- respect really manifests through. Um, but I just think there's that, that's a, that's a that's a really good bit of casting. Which I've never had really had that much issues with in the show, but we're going to be following these guys for a while now, and I can do that easily. I think, yeah, I think that's handled really, really, really well. Yeah, as much as I'm goofing on Stephen Dorff a little bit, I think he is very good in this. So I don't, I don't mean to imply he's not turning a good performance. Um, mm-hmm. I just like saying Dorff. Um, <laughs> so, 
Ah. He also, does he not also crack a joke about um, going back to maybe investigate that teacher a little bit? When hey, those <laughs> right, he does because there was this whole moment that Hayes has with the teacher where when he's talking to her about um, the kids, when he's like, hey, how are Freddie and these kids? And she's like, you know, they're kind of toughs, but it's just it, it's typical high school. Hey, we're a bunch of outcasts, so we're going to, you know, peacock a little bit mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And. Uh, and then she's like, well, how he, he asked her, like, how is it here? You know what I mean? And she's yeah. like, you know, it's fine. It's, you know, people like it, it, I, sometimes I'll hear it in the halls, but it's, you know, they, they go out of their way to try to be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, but it's a nice moment where they're having this conversation that's entirely about racism, but it's just between two American black folk who are like, I know it's shitty. How shitty is it? Yeah. And it's it's really a nice moment between them and 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 shows that there's this kind of immediate shorthand that they have with one another. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so it's really nice. But then yes, the dwarf uh dwarf on jokes later is like <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet you want to investigate her vajayjay. Yeah, dwarf on dating. Um, and the- <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and so they're going to see the trash man, and yeah. and so we jump forward to 2015, and it, it's uh, old man Hayes saying, "You all know what happened to this poor guy," and mm-hmm. which is, in according to my notes, I will read verbatim, which is true detective for he murdered someone, raped someone, or raped and murdered someone before killing himself with a raw turkey. <laughs> I'm hoping it's all of the three. <laughs> right. So they uh they go track this guy down and you know they kind of check out his house and it's uh like it, they find a picture and he it turns out he was a veteran. Uh yep. he's got I don't know kind of native american features I think. Um mm-hmm. and then this is the point where uh Hayes stops the interview. Yeah. And it's just like, I can't talk about this anymore right now. And, um, and we also, uh, would we get a glimpse of the book, uh, on the shelf. It's a life and death and the harvest moon. I think yep. is the name of it. Which is a great name for a true crime novel. Yeah, it is a pretty good name. And so we see, uh, we cut back to 1980 and, um, they're investigating or like, you know, they're searching for the kids. They're, uh, out, you know, sort of beating the, the woods and whatnot. And we see Hayes taken off on his, on his own. Mm -hmm. And this is where one of the local cops, uh, asks Dorf, uh, like, Hey, where's he going? Doesn't he need to come with us? And Hayes, this is practically the Troutman speech from Rambo. Yeah, it, yeah. It's it's also it's also that it's also it's also that um the bit, you know, it kinda to me it reminds me of the bit where like McConaughey's like like once again having just seen season one of True Detective is is sitting with the two cops and he's like they, they ask him if uh, they know much about his time in Narc and the two cops are kinda looking at him weird and he goes, Shit, those fires still locked up and then you're like that, oh, some some fucking horrible covert black ops shit happened here. And yeah, we, we, we get we get the we get the we, we get the understanding of why this guy might not have the greatest sense of humor, why he might be serious, and why that speech earlier on about hunting the animal with the the bow and arrow um to make things kind of fair 
was probably spot on for him to say that. But let's let's delve a little bit into the past of of Detective Hayes. I mean, he's obviously clearly um, a chess champion uh, who like long walks on the beach, um, sometimes crochet uh, and croquet because he didn't know the difference between the two of them when he was recording a podcast, um, and now has just remembered what 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 lovely background. How did he spend these summers? Well, uh, when Hayes was in Vietnam, he was what they they call a, a lerp, um, which was. A long-range reconnaissance. Mm-hmm. And essentially what he would do in the Vietnam War, which I don't know if you've heard about that, Duncan, uh, doesn't sound like it was it was much fun for anybody. That's the one you guys won really easy, wasn't it? Oh, they <laughs> whooped your hide. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that is another potential commentary. A fish called Wanda is like a pure fucking joy. <laughs> I don't know how interesting it would be, though. It would just be us being like, "That was funny." Um, <laughs> I don't know. There'd be a lot of me talking about how hot Jamie Lee Curtis is in that movie. Humana, humana, humana. Yeah, yeah, and and me talking about how hot wigs are. Um, <laughs> we, we would also be able to do uh, Michael Palin stuttering. The car! Just, just sing it. The car! It's so, oh man. <laughs> that scene is maybe. It's it, That's probably in my top 10 of like, just show me that scene and I will start laughing like a bastard. You whipped your high real good. Yeah, that's fantastic. Too. It was a tie. <laughs> yeah, that's a fantastic. Anyway, we could quote oh. a fish called Wanda all night. Um, <laughs> but so what? What uh, Dorf on Hayes says? <laughs> he's like, yeah. What they would do is they would drop this guy out in the jungle and be like, "Hey, go find out what's out there." And he was like, yeah, he would, you know, disappear for two or three weeks and come back with a handful of scalps. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Ate lightning and crap thunder. You know, I mean, it is just a, like, he was practically a superhero. And Mm -hmm. and we see him disappearing um, uh, into the woods and and following this path. And he comes on uh, the tower. That they talked yeah, about. Yeah, but before he gets to the tower, he walks past this tree stump that has this small uh, kind of... Uh, looks like a bride, um, but it's made out of like, hay and, and flowers and some cloth. Um, he comes across one of them and then follows, continuing out till he finds the tower. And he goes up into the tower and right enough, it looks like there's been a... A little bit of uh, a little bit of drinking, a little bit of fucking bow, um, and a little bit of pill popping up in that tower, but no evidence really of of anything he's looking for, except there is a kind of he's being led. Um, although it's worth saying as well, the reason he starts walking that way to begin with is he does notice tire marks, which once again links back to he noticed tire marks and before that puddle. So the the assumption maybe it's the same tread. Potentially, I don't, I don't know, but it seems to get his interest mm-hmm. to start walking that way to begin with. 
Um, but he starts following the trail and oh. and he comes across a bicycle, Duncan. Uh, yeah. Near, I, I think it's just a pond or something, just a small yeah, like body a, of water. Yeah, like a creek. So this once again, kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, West Memphis three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. Like there's a lot of that DNA in this in this season so far. Um, yeah, and yeah, so it's just a trail of these creepy fucking dolls that are are leading him to this kind of cave, um, where. Duncan, uh, we find a bag of candy, <laughs> which the children have been surviving on. And uh, is, this, is this the magic? Is this the magic candy cave from that that unicorn? You know, Charlie, Charlie, <laughs> yeah, the cave, Charlie, shun, shun the non-believers, shun. <laughs> That's creepy, dude. <laughs> Like one of my favorite videos ever and it is very creepy but yeah um, like do you know the video i'm on about no, no i don't oh know. man like with this finishes i'm sending that to you yeah it's, please do such a such a weird cartoon uh, but yeah so the he goes up there and th- this is not the candy cave at all um actually what he comes across uh, is a dead child who is lying on his back with his hands up in front of him, almost in a prayer position, um, and uh, once checking his pulse, very quickly realizes that this is the boy that he's been. Well, one of the kids has been looking for the boy, and he is very, very dead. Um, and of course, the sh- the shock sets in. He's He's visibly stunned by this. Uh, walks back out. Walks back down to where he can get some um, reception for his walkie-talkie, and um, yeah, messages into his uh, his partner to let him know that he's found the boy. Um, so yeah, so yeah, right. So we we have we have our first dead child. Um, so we know what happens to the boy. Uh, it doesn't look like it's good. Um, there's these wee weird kind of creepy dolls wink wink nudge nudge true detective season one um you know we're, we're back to these things that are just like things that should not be there that just look creepy right <laughs> you know what i mean when you're walking through wooded area all there should be is trees there should not be twigs wrapped together with rope to make formations and there certainly should not be small bride like fucking he dolls. They should not exist. They, they're, they're, they're unnatural. They should not be there, and they instantly make me creeped out. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, their search has has resulted in a dead kid, which you kind of saw coming anyway. Uh, but that is not where the twist finishes for this uh, opening episode. Uh, okay so uh in and we we cut to uh at you know after the discovery of the this body the hands tinted in prayer um that uh we move forward to 2015 where hayes's son is like hey i kicked that television crew out and um and then immediately we're back in 1980 again like mm-hmm. you know the implication being of course that that Hayes is you know stuck on this memory now and um uh that 
while he's remembering, you know, the scene being kind of bagged and photographed and, you know, there are these walkie talkies firing off everywhere. Uh, Dorf comes out to console him, uh, Dorf on empathy. <laughs> and whilst, whilst putting another one of these like dolls and, and, uh, evidence bag. Right. Uh, yeah. And Hayes is like, Hey, there's a bunch of them around here. They led me here and, and we need to take all those in for evidence as well. Um, but he's also, he says, you know, I did a lot of tunnel work over there, mm -hmm. uh, implying, you know, he would go into the tunnels, uh, very famously and infamously used by, uh, the Viet Cong in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that I understand, uh, by watching movies like platoon was real fucked up. And, oh, yeah. uh, and, and so, uh, poor Hayes is like, yeah, man, I, I'm still, like it, it took a lot for me to even go into that cave and, and finding that kid there kind of fucked me up for a second. Mm. And, uh, then it, we cut to, uh, 1990 where he's in that interview and he's like, look, I'm done <laughs> until somebody tells me what the fuck is going on around here. Mm -hmm. And and who tells him what the fuck is going on around there is it, sort of an old boss that he worked for. We'll get more on him in the next episode. Um, but he says, hey, we the big twist of the episode is that they have recently gotten a hit on fingerprints from a robbery. Uh, and those fingerprints are those of Julie Purcell, uh, who at this point in time has been missing for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then there is a pretty great depressing rendition of uh what condition my condition is in. Yeah. <laughs> Just pretty rad. And that's it. That is episode one of season three of True Detective. Uh Duncan, we will get into conjecture soon enough. Mm-hmm. For now, what was your impression when you walked when you when the first episode ended? What did you think to yourself uh, as far as uh, did, did you like it? Did you have a good time? What was happening? Um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I think um, th there's enough in here between the three time frames that, you know, like I, I have no idea where this show is going, but I know that a crime has been committed, um, assumptions have been made. Uh, Someone may have been arrested wrongly or unjustly. Uh, something has been revealed and there is so much story that we're going to have to follow in between. I think the casting's spot on as well. Like, I genuinely think. Um, and just the setting as well. I, I, I love being back out in nature for these shows mm. um, and maybe less of that. As much as I, like I say, I do really like season two. A true detective, but there's there's something kind of familiar and warm about going into season three that maybe wasn't there in season two. So yeah, I, I'm totally in. What about yourself? Uh, no, I really dug it. As, as soon as it ended, I thought we don't know nothing yet because we, do, you know, like Nick Pizzolatto is a lot about that in sort of institutional corruption, and mm -hmm. we haven't seen the the institute what could become corrupt yet. Um, so it was like, all right, I, you know, I don't feel like we know that much at this point other than getting to know the characters who are exaggerated, but cool, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is also, you know, good old fashioned Nick Pizzolatto. 
um, that they're archetypes of characters that they're not, even though they're complex, you know, they're not wholly good or bad. There, there's some, uh, moral flexibility to some of these characters, but they're also grand, you know, these are, 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 are warriors, you know, mm. like uh, whether it's, uh, McConaughey or Colin Farrell, uh, by the end of, uh, season two. And in this one, you know, um, Hayes, Wayne Hayes as a character is just our, like, so clearly the protagonist of this story because we know that he loved a wife who died and uh, was was significant to him and that this case has been plaguing him all his career and all that stuff. And it just makes him, and aside from, uh, or not only that, but there's also the stuff with him being this like superhero tracker and hunter. And it's like, okay, this is a larger than life kind of dude. But yeah. it's a very cool character, and I'm curious to see. You know, I, I'm curious to see where the 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 rug is pulled out from under us a little bit. Oh yeah, because um, we know it's coming. Sure, sure. We just don't know when it's coming, and that to me is the exciting. The exciting point is that I, I think as well. I think like having watched two seasons of of True Detective. I want to think that I know how Nick Pisolato sets out a story. So I'm expecting by the halfway mark, episode four, episode five-ish, the big twist's going to come in and then, you know, that rug is going to get pulled from us and then we're going to go. But that's not to say that's how he's approached this one at all. So, like, what I like about this is very quickly we get the... Oh, by the way, we've seen this, you know, the boy's dead but the girl isn't dead and maybe there has been assumptions made that she was. Um, yeah. And, you know, and there's, she's, she's committing crimes and this is 10 years later and, you know, she'll be what she's 10. So she'll be 20 uh, in 1990. So like these things instantly, I'm like, right. I, I don't know where we're going with this, but I'm excited for it. And then against the backdrop of there's so many references to the devil thus far, you know the, the the devils hang out where the the kids are hanging out. There's reference to you know black mass to do with the the the, the whole kind of black sabbath things that's working there. The fact that Stephen Dorff looked looked very kind of kind of satanic panic esque mm, yeah. on those kids as well. The fact that you know there's this idea that maybe it could have something to do with this Native American man who fought in Vietnam and you know some guys come back with this PTSD that they can't drop down. The fact that these little creepy fucking doll-like creatures are about there which are known as devil's traps. Um you know these references as well to potentials to that. The fact that the kid was found with his hands put up in a position of prayer, which is actually like how the doll is as well the doll is holding like a like like a bouquet of like what's supposed to be flowers very much like a bride would the fact that you like all these things as well is pointing towards the occult um so yeah this has got this, the potential here is huge um and we are one of eight episodes down um and yeah i i, I genuinely I, I don't want to say return to form because return to form to me diminishes i think a lot of the hard work that's done in season two i will say it is a return to style 
of season of one. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the content lives up to that, though. Gotcha. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, Duncan, let's say no more because cliffhanger. <laughs> uh, folks, when you hear this episode uh, on the day it drops, we are going to uh, our, stop right here. Yes. And next week, the second half of our thrill-packed episode uh, involving the first two episodes of True Detective. So you get uh, episode one here, episode two uh, on the next episode. Uh, so, um, hey, thanks for listening. And uh, as always, if you would, uh, like and subscribe and tell people you know about the show. Um, and and then you can follow me at legionpodcast.com. Duncan, where can people find you, sir? Podcast under the stairs. All right. Yep. Uh, yep. We're keeping it quick because we're about to launch into part two of this big-ass <laughs> bastard. Uh, all right. So, folks, thanks for listening. And, uh, Duncan, say goodnight. Good night. I got little this morning. I'll be ready to be. Hey, man, you love this bit I got. Then this morning. When I got there, he was laying on the cooling boat. Grabbed up my suitcase and I took out down the road. When mm, I got there, he was laying, laying on the cooling boat. So nice and plain, yeah.